0: In October 1871, the great Chicago fire destroyed much of that bustling city there of Chicago. But surprisingly, the flames actually started on the other side of the Chicago River. So the question is how did the fire cross over that river and reach Chicago? The river jumping uh, fire is partially explained by the high winds that spread the fire from the wooden ships that were moored there in the river. But there were also another, um, even more important factor that explains the spread of that fire. You see, in those days, um, the Chicago River was a shallow, sluggish sewer for the whole city. The uh, Union Stockyards there in Chicago dumped all of their animal waste into that river. People called it the Stinking River or uh, the Bubbling Creek. It was so bad that the waste was actually combustible. All of this uh, putrefaction flowed into Lake Michigan where um, where there were drinking water intakes for the city. Waterborne diseases Broke out Um, every year through the 1880s to 1890s. At least 10,000 people died uh, from different types of diseases. In 1885, 14 years after that Great Chicago Fire, nearly 100,000 people died from illnesses carried by that river's uh, putrid waters. Finally, city engineers they took action. And so what they did first was they started digging 28 miles of canal. They moved um, evidently more earth and rock than were moved in the building of the Panama Canal. (laughs) They set in locks and gates. And then on January 2nd, 1990, a worker opened a sluice gate um, at Lake Michigan and the entire Great lakes flowed into the Chicago River, (laughs) pushing it in a direction that it had never flowed before. They they reversed the flow of that uh, river, Chicago River, and so now it flowed in the opposite way, into the canal, into the Des Plaines River, into the Illinois River, into the Mississippi. (laughs) This brought a huge flow of fresh water. So instead of a uh, shallow, sluggish, diseased water making the community sick, this river now brought the city life. Some writers argue that Chicago wouldn't even be around, wouldn't even exist today um, had the flow of the Chicago River not been reversed. The American Society of Civil Engineers named it one of the engineering projects of the millennium. This morning, I want to I tell you about, I want us to look at even a greater reversal that took place. Not of the millennium, uh, but I want to suggest to you the greatest reversal of all of history, of all of eternity. And it's found in the first chapter of Luke, in the story and the song of Mary. I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke this morning. Luke Chapter 1, Luke 1, find your way there, we'll be starting in verse 26. Now the great reversal begins with the arrival of the angel Gabriel to this quiet little town called Nazareth, nestling up in the high... uh, a circle of protecting hills around. Um, Nazareth is such uh, an an unassuming town (laughs) that you'll find that it's not even mentioned in connection with any single event in the whole Old Testament. In fact, um, it's not once mentioned in the Talmud, um, where names of obscure places are oftentimes mentioned. And God sends Gabriel to this little quiet town. You might call it a hush little mountain town. And he he sends Gabriel to give this message, this surprising, incredible message to Mary. Look with me. Chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was... Mary, imagine with me for a moment. Here's Mary. Engage to be married to this young man, Joseph. I got to imagine she's looking forward to her wedding day. Maybe doing a little bit of planning, a little bit of dreaming, dreaming of the days that they will be husband and wife, maybe even dreaming a little bit further down the road when they will have children. Her future plans are exciting and as they always do to soon to be married, the future looks so promising, so full of hope. The last thing she expected was God to interrupt her life with his purpose, his incredible reversal plan. But he does. Notice here in this first couple of verses, in fact, I want you to notice here that Luke wants to make sure that we understand that Mary was a good person. In fact, two times he tells us that she was a virgin, that she had never been with a man. And then later down, in fact, in verse 34, you hear Mary's voice, and Mary tells us once again, she hasn't been with a man, she's a virgin. You say, well, why is that significant? Well, it's significant because, see, God was getting ready to do a holy thing. And if God was going to do a holy thing, um, guess who he was going to use? He was going to use a holy woman. I don't mean sinless. I mean holy in the sense that she was attempting um, to live a righteous, moral life. She had kept herself pure, um, trying to live up to divine standards. And it wasn't because her parents had told her, hey, Mary, guess what? Um, You know, one day you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. (laughs) No. All they did was say, honor the Lord and he will honor you. She was being righteous simply because, well, (laughs) that's what was expected. That's what God required. Now the angel's message And will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. One day, catch this, seemingly, you know, to Mary, out of the blue, God sends this angel Gabriel to her, and he tells her that she's going to have a baby, even though she's a virgin. And this child, this little baby that she's going to have will be Jesus, son of of the Most High. Put yourself in her shoes for a moment. What kind of emotions do you think she experienced? Fear? Doubt? Awe? (laughs) My guess is probably all three of those, plus some. Um... Frederick Buechner's little book of character sketches of people from the Bible has this to say about the angel Gabriel as he encounters Mary. Listen to this. She struck him as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he had been entrusted with a message to give to her, and he gave it. He told her what the child was to be named and who he was to be and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. You mustn't be afraid, Mary, he said. And as he said it, he only hoped that she would notice that beneath the great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole future of creation hung on the answer of this girl. So how does Mary respond? How does Mary answer? What kind of answer does she give? What's her response to this good news that must have been so overwhelming? There's a progression I want you to see here in Mary's responses. In fact, look at her first response. Back up again in verse 29. Look what what she says. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And try to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Um, uh, Mary was troubled, Luke tells us. Um, That word can be translated perplexed. In the Greek, uh, it means to agitate greatly, to be troubled greatly. And that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, that she's agitated, that she's anxious, that she's perplexed. I mean, wouldn't you be? I mean, think about what this message, this angel is telling her. In that culture, a woman who found herself pregnant and unmarried ran the risk of uh, being um, killed by uh, stoning from her father and from other men in the village. At best, you can imagine her thinking about, man, I'm going to be an outcast the rest of my life. And although Mary is agitated, although she is anxious, it also tells us she is thoughtful. She ponders the words that this angel had spoken. She's not sure what to do with his, his words, not sure what to do with his appearance. What does all this mean? She asks. Now, that's Mary's first response. I want you to look at her second response, down in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Gabriel has just revealed that Mary will give birth to God's son, who will reign forever. And Mary has, has thought it through. She hears what Gabriel is telling her. Catch this. She hears the words that he's saying. She, she's, in fact, probably seeing his mouth move, but she's thinking the whole time, I, what, what are you saying? I don't understand this. How will this all take place? I mean, after all, um, you know, she's taking biology. She understands. She's a virgin. And, 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 and a virgin can't get pregnant. Now, listen, I got to tell you, her question, how will this take place since I'm a virgin? That's not a bad question to ask, is it? <laughs> um, I don't think God was surprised by that question. So, Gabriel tries to explain <laughs> and explain the answer in a way that, well, that she might understand. So, he says to her, well, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, um, he will come upon you um, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy, holy offspring will be called uh, the Son of God. Basically, catch this, Gabriel is, says to her, Look, listen, Mary, I, I know you're right, okay? Hey, you've never been with a man. Don't worry. The egg will be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, or shall we call it, by the seed of God the seed of God will, will link with the human egg and therefore you should be able to call him not only um, your son, the son of man, but you'll also be able to call him the son of God because he will be divine in nature as well as human. That clear it up? <laughs> I don't think so. I think this is still just kind of um, inconceivable to Mary. What are you talking about? And so the angel adds, listen, Mary, if you have any doubts, go visit your relative Elizabeth. Because she has also conceived a son in her old age, and she uh, who was barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary, catch this, she has raised this question, how can this be? Well, (laughs) Mary, the angel says, in in terms of academic explanation, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow the egg, and and you're going to have a child. But I I still don't understand. Listen, if you don't understand, Mary, listen, what you can do is you go visit Elizabeth, because you know about Elizabeth. I mean, tell me about Elizabeth, Mary. (laughs) My Aunt Elizabeth, I mean, she's an old, old lady, Well, guess what? Elizabeth is six months pregnant. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. People can't have kids as old as Aunt Liz. Come on, that's, that's impossible. Well, guess what, Mary? Guess what? No more impossible than what is going to happen to you. And listen, if you doubt me, you go to Elizabeth. course, that brings us to Mary's third response. Catch this. Mary's emotions have moved from anxiety to asking. And now she moves from asking to acceptance. Mary says, look at this. Verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. From her. Um, now listen, acceptance, We have to realize it, it's not necessarily joyous. Um, um, it's not accompanied <laughs> by wild enthusiasm. It's, it, it's simply saying, um, okay, God, have it your way. Now, I don't know about you, but, but um, if I'm the one receiving that sort of tepid type of response from someone, it isn't exactly what I was hoping for. I mean, if 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 you know our staff were in staff meeting, and I believe God is leading our church to do something, and I share it with our staff, and I, I share it with our our council members, and and their response is is simply, well, okay, um, have it your way. <laughs> I mean, that's not exactly what I want to hear. You know, if it's Friday night and I'm I'm really set on seeing a particular movie. But, you know, my wife Becky isn't really thrilled all about it. um, And I keep on her and keep on her until finally she says, okay, okay, fine, have it your way. All of a sudden, you know, (laughs) I'm not all that interested in going to that movie either, you know. See, acceptance, now that's a step in the right direction. God desires our obedience And he's honored uh, when we acknowledge his right to direct our lives. But acceptance is not (laughs) all that God hopes for, necessarily, from his children. Scripture doesn't record the conversations, but uh, my guess is those conversations that followed Mary's decisions, conversations with her fiancé, conversations with uh, her parents, I don't know how well they went. (laughs) I think we can all sort of figure out um, how those conversations probably went over. Uh, Not really all that well. So I don't think initially, catch this, that Mary had much reason to move beyond acceptance of God's plan. In fact, I I imagine that more than once she moved back to anxiety, don't you? But then Mary goes to visit her aunt, Elizabeth. Elizabeth and something happens, something that's supernatural, this supernatural connection between these two women, both who are miraculously pregnant. And instead of condemnation, instead of name-calling, and instead of heaping on of, of shame and more guilt on Mary's head, Elizabeth exclaims, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And so at that point, See, I I think Mary suddenly gets it. I think it clicks. And she moves from being agitated to asking, from asking to acceptance, and finally from acceptance to adoration. She breaks out into a song. No, I don't mean literally. I don't think she actually was like one of those musicals, you know? You watch those musicals where a character is, is in the most dramatic moment, all of a sudden starts singing out loud. I don't think that's probably what, what happened. Uh, but Mary's words here do have a poetic style to them. Look with me again at the song that was read earlier in our service starting at verse 46. Chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, catch this. This is more than just a simple praise song. Um, In reality, it was a song of magnification. um, And I want you to notice the opening words here. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, she says. The first line of Mary's song is is where we get the title for this song. Maybe you have it in your your Bibles. Mine says, Magnificant. (laughs) Literally, that first phrase means, My soul magnifies the Lord, or my my soul makes great the Lord. Um, My soul enlarges the Lord. Of course, (laughs) we know, right? Theologically, we know that um, uh, God cannot be made bigger but he can be enlarged in a person's life, can't he? We magnify the Lord when we understand new aspects of God's greatness. And that's exactly what happened here to Mary. (laughs) Mary was filled with wonder of, of, of the God, the mighty, the almighty, the holy, merciful God that he would look on her. That she would find favor with him. I mean, who was who she? She was from Nazareth, a nothing village in an obscure country in a huge world, a part of an infinite universe. <laughs> who was she? I mean, she was poor, disenfranchised. She was a teenager, of all means. That's why I think Mary sings... See, she has come to trust what Gabriel has has told her. And in the midst of all God does in creation and who God is, she, a lowly, humble servant, (laughs) somehow, someway, God has noticed her. All she could do was magnify her Lord. Hans Christian Andersen said, where words fail, music speaks. So Mary sang. Listen, when you look at this song, you look at these words, you look at the words of her song, you realize that one of the interesting things you discover is that uh, there's at least 15 uh, quotations from the Old Testament here in her song. So evidently, uh, Mary knew her Bible. Another thing you discover is that the spirit of the song is one of praise and, and thanksgiving. And if I were to name this song, I would call it the great reversal the great reversal because its theme is god's great reversal of fortune for the poor in spirit in fact it has two parts to it the first part here i want you to notice it focuses on what god did for her mary says mary says in verses 46 to 49 look at this and my soul magnifies the lord my spirit rejoices in god my savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Did you hear it? Did you catch it? Did you see the reversal? God has regarded her in her, her humble state. She was a nobody from a nowhere town. But now, she says, God, God has, has blessed her, has acted in such a way that future generations would call her blessed. And then she sees the same principle at work in others. Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength. With his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Did you hear it again? You see the reversal? Now it's at work, not just with Mary, the reversal is at work with with others. The proud have been brought down, the the hungry are filled, and the humble are exalted. Some have taken this song of Mary's um, as a political manifesto of liberation for the poor and oppressed in the earth, but it's never meant to be that. Liberation, she describes, is not political or economic. No, it's, it's spiritual liberation. Mary will be called blessed not because she, she owns a Mercedes, but because her son would save her and others from their sins. The liberation is not for the poor, period, but for the poor in spirit. Those who fear God and trust God and look to God for salvation. Like Mary, I got to tell you, each one of us have been born into a humble state. Spiritually, where all of us are bent towards sin, separated from God. But God sent his son (laughs) so our fortune might be reversed. It's been said the son of God became a man in order that men might become the sons of God. There's a reversal in that. Right? What Jesus did was even more astonishing than reversing the flow of that Chicago River. <laughs> he reverse, reverses the, 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 the flow of the human heart. Instead of the sh- shallow, sluggish, diseased waters of human sinfulness, Jesus has opened the sluice gates of new and living water into our lives. And the Bible has a wonderful word for it. It's called salvation. <laughs> In fact, that's the theme, I think, of Mary's story as well as Mary's song. The angel told Mary, hey, you shall call him his name Jesus. That name, Jesus, means salvation. Mary sings of God, my Savior. <laughs> what was Mary being saved from? She is being saved from her sin. And what it required was a humility of the heart. The Maasai tribe in West Africa has an unusual way of saying thank you. What they do is they bow their heads, put their foreheads on the ground and say, my head is in the dirt. Why do they do that? (laughs) Because at its core, thanksgiving is an act of humility. Humility isn't all, oh, woe is me. Now, it begins with, woe is me, but guess what? It ends with, look what God has done for me. Jesus is a savior of all, but salvation only comes to the humble of heart. It's only given to the poor in spirit, those who recognize their need, those who call out to him. The message of Mary's story and song is that God has done something to reverse your situation. He sent his son to be your savior, to reverse your fortune. And if you're humble enough to accept his gift, that will bring you true joy. That's the spirit of Christmas, friends. It's the spirit of humility. Humility. It's a humility that is expressed in in Mary's response to Gabriel. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's a humility that is expressed in in grateful worship for salvation that you did not merit. (laughs) A well-known Christian writer and speaker was asked if it was difficult for her to remain humble. She replied, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think for one moment that it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of that was for him? (laughs) If I can be a donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I give him all praise and all the honor. I'm going to invite the uh, orchestra to come up front once more. They're going to lead us in one closing uh, praise uh, opportunity once again for us to magnify the Lord this morning. And while they're coming up and while they're getting all set up, here's my simple challenge to each one of you, and that's this How will you make Jesus big in your life? Make it your practice. Make it your practice to give him your heart and your mind and your soul. Give him your day before you even get out of bed in the morning. Make him big. Get into his word this week and meditate on his greatness. Make him big. Magnify him. Spend time in praise of our magnificent, incredible Lord Jesus Christ, let me pray. Lord God, eternal Father, might our first thoughts be of you this week. Let our first impulse be to worship you this week. Might our first speech be your name. And our first action be to kneel before you in prayer. Might we magnify you in our lives, both individually and collectively, As your church family, we pray all of this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.